Hello, friends, and welcome to the What Do You Know podcast series. We are in episode 14. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I just want to remind all of you to share this podcast with someone that you think can get something out of it. My goal for this podcast is not to let it just be some side project that I do for fun, but rather I want to help create a space for youth workers and youth pastors and pastors in general to share knowledge, to share general bits of wisdom, but also to help provide some encouragement for others in ministry. Because let's be honest, right now, ministry is hard. Ministry is hard in general, but I think it's important for us to remember why we got into ministry in the first place. Because God has a calling for all of us. God has placed a call in our life to minister to the people around us. And so friends, today we are joined by another awesome guest. Someone who has poured their life into people, into students, so today, we are joined by Pastor Bud Reedy. I'll let him introduce himself. The floor is yours, Pastor Bud. Hey, thank you. First of all, let me say, Caleb, proud of you. I've known you since before you were born. <laughs> and uh, it's just been a real delight to watch you grow up as a kid and a junior high kid and a senior high kid and then going off to Eastern Nazarene College. It's just been a hoot seeing what God is doing in your life. It's actually incredible. It's wonderful. So... Thanks so much, <clears throat> excuse me, for the invitation. Thank you for joining us. So, Pastor Bud, what do you do? Where are you at right now in ministry? Can you give us kind of a 30,000-foot view? Sure. I'm a 67-year-old lead pastor from Charlottesville First Church of the Nazarene. Um, I'm in my fourth year. I really didn't see this particular ministry assignment coming. It's just been such a blessing and a delight. I'm enjoying it. What I think what makes it unique, it's a probably a medium-sized church of 130 to 150 people. But what makes it unique, Caleb, is that we have eight part-time bivocational pastors. And so that has been one of the things that has been the most important mission match for me, is that I have the privilege of mentoring those that want to be mentored and um, you know, pouring my life into them. And that has just been so fulfilling. I've so enjoyed that. It's a church that's in transition, and uh, it's been pretty exciting to see God at work in, in this congregation in the beautiful mountains of central Virginia. It's just a gorgeous place. So Sally and I are blessed. So you briefly touched on it. I know some people that are going to listen here are really interested about the framework of the church. Could you give us a little more background on the cultural context? That way we know the breakdown of your church because every church is different. You know that, I know that, almost yeah. everybody that works in the church knows that. So what does the cultural context of your church look like? Very interesting. I would say that it's pretty diverse from the perspective of uh, we have Southerners, we have Northerners, we have uh, quite a few young adults, um, a goodly number of middle adults, and a goodly number of senior adults. So generationally speaking, there's quite a, a diversity. Uh, racially, not so much. Uh, we are predominantly a Caucasian congregation. Uh, most of our people are middle class. So that's the context in which I'm ministering these days. So am I correct in saying your church is located in a college town too? It is UVA, University of Virginia. I know there's some people that feel that maybe Virginia Tech um, is superior. I am and, one of those. Yeah, really? Yes. 
Why is that? Did it have something to do with your father attending there? It does. It does have a lot to do with that. Yeah. They're both great universities. And I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. Virginia, Virginia Tech are both great universities. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, we've really done the best we can, I think, to connect with the students and faculty at UVA. I, I wish I could tell you it's been successful. It hasn't. We've not really made any connections. We a couple of open doors. We walked through them and did not see the relational connections with UVA that we wanted to see. But it still remains a challenge and still remains something that we're very interested in and praying a lot about. The focus of young adult and college and career is such a huge part of the church. I just remember, I think I was reading the book Growing Young and just kind of seeing the relationships that come from that. And so I was interested, like, what steps are you taking there to minister to to the college students that may be attending your church? Well, have a, a young adult pastor, and this has actually been very fulfilling for me. Uh, to work with this young pastor. He's 26. He's bivocational in that he is a master mechanic at BMW. And it's been really interesting as we have explored various ways to get connected with young adults. His ministry is now called Ground Zero. And one of the things that we're finding in terms of ministry to young adults is that a traditional programming type approach, whether you know it be groups, uh, corporate worship, that kind of thing, is only effective to a certain degree. Uh, Smaller relationship-oriented groups in homes and in third places, and a real strong focus on biblical justice and doing the work of uh, social action and compassion. And that is connecting both churched and unchurched young adults in a very, very significant way. In fact, It's really just now starting to take off, and I think we're going to see great things through that ministry. I I would say there's at least a possibility that that could become a congregation um, in and of itself. So that's the approach we're taking. I'm very, very proud of this young man named Pastor Kent. He's just incredible, and uh, it's just been my honor to be able to pour into his life. So I think in terms of what we're trying to do to reach young adults, um, I think it begins not so much with uh, believe, behave, belong model, but more of a belong, believe, and then moving toward what Richard Foster, you know, has called the social or biblical justice stream. And that has been attractive to to 20-somethings. So... As I think back, just to hear your passion about students and student ministry, I really want to know, or I think our listeners really want to know, what got you into youth ministry in the first place? Well, uh, I really see, and this is a broad stroke of the brush, I know, but I really see there being three movements or three eras within uh, Nazarene youth ministry. The first era was the denominationally driven uh, institutional kind of approach to youth ministry, the old MYPS, even before there was an NYI, it was called MYPS. And we, this little church that I was a part of, we really took our clues from the denomination, um, our district organization, and our even zone um, organization. And so my first experience in youth ministry was to be a part of that organizational type approach. And it worked. I think that reflects my generation's openness to um, organization and institution. 
Um, I would say the second phase, where, which is where I did most of my own personal hands-on youth ministry, is what I call the program stage, uh, where we, again, we tried to implement programs in the local church that we thought would be attractive. And I think we did that fairly successfully in the Church of the Nazarene um, over the 80s and 90s. But I really feel like uh, with the new millennium that we've entered into another era, which is basically a relational phase uh, where we don't look so much to institutions. We don't look so much to programs that are coming out of Kansas City or whatever, but we're looking more to developing meaningful relationships within uh, the local church. And I think those all have reflected or all reflect you know, cultural changes that have occurred. And the NYI has always been, youth ministry has always been nimble, probably the most nimble and most open to remaining culturally effective of any organization, any ministry in the Church of the Nazarene. And that's why so many of our denominational leaders in the church right now were youth pastors. And it's because, you know, they learned to do mission. Um, and they learn to be creative and entrepreneurial. So the most effective youth pastors I know about right now put a huge focus on relationships. Activities are important. Structure is important. But there is a huge emphasis on the development of meaningful relationships in the local church, both between teenagers themselves and between teens and adult leadership. Relationships. Everything rises and falls in youth ministry now on relationships. So in those phases, I heard that your main phase that you hopped into youth ministry was in the programming, right? That's right. So what got you into that phase or what got you into youth ministry, I guess, in a sense, to the second phase? This. Ooh. Well, we're on a I podcast. I just happened so to have a copy of Total. Now, I was planting a church in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the denomination called me and said, look, we do not have a comprehensive resource for programming in the local church for youth ministry. We just don't have it. We have bits and pieces, but we need something that can pull everything together. And so uh, I packed up my, my young family and moved to Kansas City. And for two years, I poured myself into the development of total. And basically, here was the goal. Most Nazarene churches are small, maybe a hundred or less. Most Nazarene churches have a lay youth leader. So we want them to be able to purchase a comprehensive program that is soup to nuts that covers every aspect of youth ministry. So we, I wrote the total handbook and we, we had three copies of these total notebooks where, man, there's everything you could think of in the way of resource was in there. And so that was the goal. So those were the years that I really invested, you know, most of my time, both before and after. I was involved in Festival of Life. I was the regional director for Festival of Life and that kind of thing. But again, a strong program orientation, right? So yeah, that's, that's where I really kind of dove in and drilled down when it came to youth ministry. Awesome. So if you could sit down, if you could write a letter to yourself as a new youth pastor or somebody that was just jumping into youth ministry, oh, what would you say? What would be some practical advice that you'd give back to yourself? 
practical advice that I would give to an emerging youth pastor or someone who is considering youth ministry? Yeah. Okay. Here it is. I'm not sure I could give you a lot of advice because everything has changed. Everything has changed. It's been such a huge cultural shift since the millennium, since 2000, a huge cultural shift. Um, I wrote this thing called The New Reality, which, by the way, if anybody wants a copy, I'd be glad to send it to them free of charge, pbud at cvillenaz.com, and I'd be glad to send this to you. I will just throw your email in the show notes. Fantastic. Here are the changes that have occurred just since 2000. That's only 20 years. The cultural shifts. And I highlighted the ones that I thought were gonna, would, would have the greatest impact on youth ministry today. The arrival of the online world. This is not all that old. Personal computers, cell phones, websites, podcasts, ebooks, Facebook. That culturally has changed everything. And almost universal access to Wi-Fi. Uh, the nuns and duns are growing in number. That just simply means that there's a growing number of people, many of them who have teenagers, that are going, man, I'm not going to no church. I, I have no affiliation with the local church. I love Jesus, but I have no affiliation with the local church. I'm done. Some that have been a part of a local church and got burned. That's a, a growing segment of the population, and they have teenagers. So those kids, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be tougher pulling them into a traditional youth ministry. There is a growing, relativized, personalized, eclectic spirituality among U.S. Americans. By that, I mean, hey, you follow Jesus in your way, and I'll follow Jesus in my way. And there's no one right way to follow Jesus. And who are you to say that your way of following Jesus is superior to mine? Now, that is a cultural norm. Um, let's see. The economy has suffered a series of recessions. Um, racially blended families are on the rise. Cross-ethnic marriages have doubled in the last 20 years. Minority babies outnumber majority babies. Cohabitation is up, up, up. Let's talk about that for a second. When I first became a pastor, I didn't see co co cohabitation as being normative. Now it is culturally normative to be able to say, yeah, I, you know, I, I love the girl, but I want to kick the tires first. I love this guy, but I really want to check him out first. And I really can't know a person until I've lived with them. So I'm going to go live with them. And premarital sex is pretty much an assumption these days, a cultural assumption. And our kids are hearing this over and over and over again. And so when you talk about, hey, date the girl, save the sexual experience until your marriage, they, pick, they look at you like you're a third eye or like you have a third eye. <laughs> it's like that has just radically changed. Uh, cohabitation is a, cities are growing worldwide and we are witnessing a revival of urban life. Uh, grandparents are parenting more. In 2010, 4.9 million American children live with their grandparents. Let that one sink in. Um, I'm not going to get into that one. I'll leave that one. Homosexuality and gay marriage are on the front page now. Drug use is up. Um, globalization is here. And modernity is slowly coming to a close. And we are entering a postmodern world. Now, I, I could spend the next two hours just talking about these changes. 
And I want to tell you this right now. In my opinion, it's never been more of a challenge to be a youth pastor than it is right now. I'm just going to tell you this right now. This has nothing to do with age. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin being a youth pastor. So I'm spending as much time with our youth pastor and with other youth leaders, but most of my time is spent in learning. I'm listening, bro. I'm listening to guys like you, Caleb. I'm listening to Kent Hart, our young adult pastor. I'm listening to him a lot because everything has changed. So it's almost like what advice would I give uh, uh, youth leaders, new yeah. youth leaders? I would say bring your life experiences into this. Don't be discouraged by those who would say, no, that's not how youth ministry is done. Be creative, be entrepreneurial, because the world that I've just described, you've been living in that for a long time. That's been the air that you breathe. So you are going to be uniquely prepared to lead a youth program in a local church over the next uh, 10 years. Interesting times we find ourselves. I never really put all that together, but yeah, that's been the, I don't want to say that's been the, some of the culture that I lived in, but yeah. That's pretty much a sum up of the world that we find ourselves. Yeah. So let's hop around in some of these questions. So okay. when you talk about learning, what books are you currently reading to prepare yourself for all this? Like if you had any books that you would highly recommend that you've currently read, that you have read, what are they? Because as a pastor, we are called to continue our learning. Even after we're finished our course of study. Well, I try to be well-read. Um, leaders read. That's what they do. And also, I try to read broadly. But I would say the one genre of literature that's been most helpful to me is the leadership literature, um, of which, you know, that's a very rich resource to draw on because, you know, books on leadership are being written all the time. Um, but I, I, I've seen this shift from for guys my age, from this authoritarian, top-down approach to leadership to more of a polycentric, um, organic approach to leadership where you're building teams, uh, you're egalitarian, uh, you do this at a round table, and you have others, as many as possible, um, involved in the conversation in terms of leading your youth ministry. So, um, you know, I would say that's been a major shift, but I would say um, Christian leadership is, is, is huge. And I would suggest uh, to new youth pastors, read everything you can get your hands on, on how to lead. I, I would say that would be my suggestion. So what keeps you motivated in ministry, even when things aren't working out and things are yeah. having a hard time getting running? What keeps you moving in ministry? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. For me, it comes down to this, calling. Every day you wake up going, the, I, don't, I think I would give up except for one thing. God has called me. Uh, this isn't something that one morning I woke up and go, yeah, I think it would be cool to be a youth pastor. My becoming a pastor was God's idea. And he called me to this. And I know this. Um, and our God is faithful in the calling. First uh, Thessalonians 5, faithful is he who calls you. He will also do it. 
So the, the awareness that you are a called person, or as Leonard Sweet has says, that you've been summoned. It's almost like you really don't have an option. If you're going to be a Christian, and if you're going to be obedient and faithful, if you're going to be fat, available, uh, faithful, available, and teachable, you really don't have a choice. I believe that a person's calling is a life sentence. I really do. And so that's the thing that motivates me every day. I am quite sure that if God had not called me, I'd pretty much be doing something else right now. So that sense of calling is incredibly important. And that, that calling must be nurtured and embraced every day of your life. That's a good reminder for all of us. That's awesome to hear how God is continuing to remind you that you are called. And what was it? The words of Leonard Sweet, it's a summoning? It's, uh, you've not just been called, you've been summoned. Hmm. It's a great little book that Leonard Sweet has written on leadership. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of it right now. Well, we have Google. We oh, can- it's, called, it's, called, it's called Summoned to Lead. Summoned to Lead. Guys, uh, I'll, I meant to say this with our book list. All these books will be kind of put in the show notes. That way you know what we're talking about. That way you know what we're referencing. But Pastor Bud, we're talking about nurturing our call. That goes yeah. right into our next question. How do you avoid burnout? How do you continue to nurture your call even when life gets stressful? Well, it's interesting that you should ask that question because I burned out, Caleb. I've got nobody to blame but myself. But um, burnout is stress over an extended period of time. And my ministry is still metal got on top of me. And um, I did not do well. There were three or four years there where I, I became pretty unhealthy. So I don't want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. So whenever I start to feel myself be stressed to the point where it's affecting me mentally and emotionally, uh, that's when I take a step back and take a look and um, try to make some adjustments because I don't want to go back there. Uh, burnout is, is ugly. And so what do I do? I keep my finger on my pulse a lot. How am I feeling? How do I feel physically? What are the thoughts that are dominating my mind? And when I start uh, dominating a lot of negative and dark thoughts, when I, when, I, when I find those things sinking their talons into me, then I uh, try to do the best I can to do some replacement type thinking and replacing those negative thoughts with thoughts like these. I'm called. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm a child of God. I am joint heirs with Christ. Uh, no weapon against me can be formed. So one of the things, one of my hedges against burnout is reading those scriptures that tell me who I am in Christ. If you've never seen the book by Neil T. Anderson called Who I Am in Christ, it lists 40 passages of scripture that you can not just read and meditate on, but I've learned to say them aloud so that they go in the atmosphere around me. And I find that when I speak truth and there's light in the room, the enemy has no choice but to flee. He takes his stinking, filthy hands off of me. And so it's extremely important as a hedge against burnout that you be constantly reminded who you are in Christ. So 
when thinking about taking care of ourselves, I think it's important to realize what gives us life or what excites you. What do you do outside of ministry? Because we both love ministry, love serving God, but we also realize that there's a life outside of ministry that we need to have. So what do you do that excites you that's not particularly ministry related? Well, uh, Sally and I love to fish. And so we have fishing dates where uh, we'll go down to the lake. I live in a place called Lake Monticello, beautiful lake. And Sally and I go fishing there. I find that to be very therapeutic. Sally and I enjoy getting in the car and driving to the Blue Ridge Parkway and just driving and getting away, getting, you know, practicing some absence from the church. And I, I'm talking about physical absence, physical separation. There's something about getting away. And I find that to be very, very helpful. And plus, like you, Caleb, uh, we're foodies. So one of the things that we enjoy doing, especially on a Friday night, which is date night for us, um, that's that's a, a discipline we've been practicing for ever since our kids were born. We, we went on dates and the kids weren't invited. <laughs> and, even if it was just going to McDonald's, but food has always been a, a, an important part of that. And so we just enjoy exploring different restaurants and eating a lot of different ethnic food. And so, this, so there's, those are some of the things. Plus I enjoy reading history. I know that makes me a bit of a nerd, but I especially enjoy reading about our presidents. So a presidential history is something that helps me to escape. Those are some of the things. I think you've got to find what helps you to escape and, 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 and you've got to embrace that thing. So as we kind of like wrap up our time, yeah, how can we be praying for you and your ministry as we continually do ministry in a, we're not in a post-pandemic world, we're right in the middle of it. How can we pray for you and your ministry in these trying times? Well, if I could, I'd like to share just a couple of principles that I've learned, and then I'll get specifically into prayer. That'd be awesome. These principles apply no matter what era of youth ministry you're in. Where you're at on the journey, these principles apply. Here's what every youth pastor, in my mind, needs to focus on these things. First of all, every youth pastor needs a vital, growing relationship with God. Read Richard Foster and explore the celebration of discipline and Living Streams, another book that he wrote, and find the spiritual practices that best relate to you and your personality and build them into your life. The result is a growing relationship with God. Number two, a genuine love of young people. I I think, you know, it's challenging. And so it's not only important that we love our teenagers, it's extremely important that we like them. And our kids can figure that out in a, in a heartbeat, in a New York minute. They can figure out those that love them and like them and those that don't. So if you really don't like kids, get into some other area of ministry. Number three, a willingness to be an example to youth. Charles Barkley said, I'm not supposed to be an example to anybody. Uh, however, if you're going to be an effective youth pastor, you've got to be willing to exemplify what it is you're trying to help them become. They've got to be able to see it in you first. 
before they're going to buy into it. We have a, a youth pastor at Charlottesville First. Um, his name is uh, Clay, Pastor Clay. He's in his 50s. Um, he absolutely loves our kids, and our kids know it. And I think that is the number one uh, characteristic of an effective youth pastor. And he likes them, and they know it. And he, he likes hanging out with them. Enthusiasm, I think, is important. To be enthusiastic in the Latin means in theos, to be full of God. I mean, people, our kids need to see that we're full of God. I mean, that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Number five, dependability. There's one thing kids can't stand is that you break your promises. Uh, we need to be dependable. Uh, and number six, prayerfulness. We get our marching orders from God in prayer. John Wesley said, we really can't do anything until we've prayed. And uh, I can usually tell in just a few minutes of conversation whether or not prayer is a significant part of that person's life. And so how can you pray for me that I be those things, that those things will be true of me until God moves me or changes me or removes me but that I am those things. And there is nothing in this world that can stop me from pursuing those things. That's how I want people to pray for me. Well, that I'd be dependable and loving and uh, yeah, that our people at CFCN know that I like them. Well, let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, right now, I just want to say thank you for our time together. Thank you for technology. Thank you, Lord, that this can happen. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would bless our conversation that we had here today. Lord, Lord, I pray that this conversation would get to the people that need to hear it the most. Lord, I also want to pray for Pastor Bud and his ministry that you will help him live into those principles. Lord, I pray you would help his people to understand and know that he cares for them, but Lord, that also you care for them. Lord, ministry is a hard task, and we just want to ask for your sustaining grace and your guidance as we live into the call that you've given us. Lord, please be with us, guide us, help us minister the best capability that we are possible and for us to rely on you for everything else that we can't take care of lord thank you for today thank you for your love thank you for your goodness thank you for your grace and it's in your name we pray amen amen thank you my friend for joining us on what do you know hey I, i'm honored this was fun thank you friends for joining us on another episode of what do you know I hope you were reminded of a simple truth or you gained some new bit of knowledge today and again, friends, please pass this along to someone that may get something out of it. Because I don't want this podcast to be something that I'm doing just for fun, but rather I want to help us as youth pastors and us as ministry leaders to grow and to connect better with our students and our churches and really all of our people to be effective ministers of the gospel. So, friends, please pass this along. Also, leave us a review, leave us a rating. I would love to know how we could be doing better. Friends, join us next week for another conversation with another ministry leader. And I will talk to you later. Bye now.